jet lag. Jet lag. You haven't been anywhere. I've got jet lag. Hundred percent. This is jet lag. Hundred percent. Late nights. Yeah, three it, weeks. Yeah. Cincinnati, US Open. I come alive around midnight. <laughs> is this like when I got? It's uh, awful. <laughs> is this like when I I picked up a bit of an Australian twang after watching lots of Australian MasterChef? <laughs> I hadn't actually been in Australia. <laughs> is it the same thing? Is it the same thing? I don't know. You've got jet I don't lag. Have you have American jet lag. I'm not speaking in American with my jet lag. I just get really lively about midnight around. In the afternoon, and I got back from Manchester, not America, couldn't keep my eyes open during the day. But it's like, you know, it's like a, a ba- with babies, ch- young children, there's a time they have to go to sleep. You right. see it, you see it. This is good your, to learn. Your window, you. your window is small. You have a tiny window. You take the window when they look tired. Because if they go through it, over-tired. it's like a whole new child, slash overtired, Ooh. slash chaos. Yeah. So... I wasn't quite chaotic, but I went through my, <laughs> my little window and at midnight I was as awake as you can imagine. I wanted to talk to people. I, wanted, I did all my expenses. I did loads of invoices. <laughs> it's like at midnight and I'm like, what are you doing? I'm exhausted. So it feels just like jet lag. But so there are some of those people who think, who, who say that they get like most of their work done or their creativity, like artists and writers and that sort of thing, kind of like <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning. And that's when they work. And that just blows my mind. They might not have young children. Because well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that might be. So we're, we're doing this. It's, it's Wednesday. Again, I only know because the bins go out tonight. And it's just after midday. So I, I'm, I'm still fairly sleepy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what this means for the next however long we've got. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. Do you just talk? I found. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll just chat. You, you just, just chip in. I'll just. Can just I nod? nod? Does that yeah, work just, on a podcast? <laughs> I'll confirm that you're nodding. <laughs> but yeah, I, I must say that the first day of Rome, we're both working on Rome this week. But the first day of doing Rome, I, I, I was not ready for a new tournament to start. <laughs> it was just so so quick, and I know that happens. <laughs> but to go from such a major event to then another I suppose it's not one of the majors but it is a major event in in Rome it's a different surface it's a different surface different times of course you know it 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 was just I just wasn't ready for it those first couple of matches were just kind of okay right (laughs) here we go now I've settled in and we're okay and then of course you know we'll get we'll get a few days off before Roland Garros but Um, yeah a few I mean it is jam packed which is which is excellent definitely I mean it's great that we're we're watching right and of course we've got Nadal here we've got Halep here who you know they haven't they weren't involved in New York so we've kind of got some fresh blood but <laughs> I don't think any of us have been in that fresh no I don't think I remember the, the USA for men's final finished was it around sort of early hours of Monday morning working as we were we were slightly long yeah up in Umber Manchester and I was working with Annabelle Croft who was working uh, this is my first day of Rome day of the Wednesday because I remember saying, there's no way I can do Monday, and I, I think I need Tuesday to... I didn't really be jet-lagged, but I need <laughs> Tuesday. And Annabelle was working on Rome later that day, and when we finished, we came off air. I said, you do know you're starting Rome in about eight hours. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, okay, that's happening. Uh, it's just <laughs> that the turnaround is... I mean, it's great. But then I, I was thinking about this. A lot of tennis players are used to this kind of turnaround. Oh, yeah. Because that's what you guys do. Say you lost a t- bang, it's not, you got to the latter stages. You've got even less turnaround time to get to your new tournament, a new country, your new surface. So I don't know. Maybe we're just getting a little experience of of what it's like. Oh, in terms of playing jet lagged, you do that a lot. It's it's, it's pretty pretty frequent. Did you I get think. jet lag? Is it, are oh, you a person? Yeah. Can, some people don't really get 
I, I didn't think, I think as I get older, I didn't think I really suffered from jet lag. Really? Oh, no. I thought everyone did. No. Oh, okay. No, I think jet lag, it's just something that you have to learn how to manage, basically. So wherever you land, you have to have a routine and you have to get things on track. And for everyone, it's different. For some people, it's all around the sleep. You know, for me, it was all around when I ate because if I didn't eat at the right times, I just wake up in the middle of the night being like, okay, it's lunchtime. <laughs> just got to eat. And then nothing's open unless you're in New York. So you just can't. And then you just sit there starving. So for me, it was basically if I got my meals and my hydration right, the sleep would kind of would kind of follow. And for other people, they just have to make sure they stay up and sleep at the right times. But you kind of try and train yourself. So I think I got to the point where no matter where I went, no matter what the time zones, I could probably get over jet lag in two and a half days. And it is funny because you go to say Oz and you, you kind of, the best thing you can do really is just be as active as possible. Try and get the blood flowing, get those legs going and oh my word, do you feel rubbish? It's just And it's about hard. timing your flights, isn't it? So now I've learned when I yeah. go to Australia, and obviously I'm not playing, but I land early evening. So I land early evening, say around eight or nine, and then I stay up probably till about 11, then I go to sleep, and then I wake up the next morning and I try and just normalize yeah. like that as quickly. The one thing that does change it, babies and small children. Yeah. I remember we took the twins to Australia. They were only a few, six they're months not, old. They're not trained in how to get over jet lag. <laughs> and we land, and we timed our flights around the babies. You want to take night flights when they're young, so you hope they sleep, you, you hope. It's all hope, hope, hope. <laughs> So we land in the morning thinking, wow, you know, we've survived the flight. We're okay. We're still intact. Blah, blah, blah. But then if you didn't have children, you'd probably just go to sleep. Yeah. But you have to get them into a routine as quick as possible. Otherwise, I mean, that's, it's just not even, no. Jet lag babies slash children are, uh, is not a place you want to go. Mm. So immediately you're having to get on their wavelength. So maybe that's when jet lag started hitting me a bit more I don't know yeah I, just recently I have only just come back from Manchester all <laughs> this but I genuinely feel jet lagged you don't look jet lagged so that's good I feel jet lagged but it, it's it's funny though because as, as I say with the with the when you kind of go out and practice you you don't feel amazing but you don't necessarily realize how rough you feel until it's normally pretty much yeah like like the morning, I don't know, maybe practice session number three or four, um, where your legs just suddenly feel back to normal and you just, you just, oh, this is, oh, I, I feel alive again. <laughs> I you can run, it's like I can when you're, train. Yeah, it's like when you're ill, you know, and sometimes you don't realise how bad you felt until you start feeling normal again and you're like, oh my God, I can but, breathe. But did no one come up with something, uh, a, a tablet that you're allowed to take, a treatment, something homeopathic or or, <laughs> or caffeine or something because tennis players are doing this every day of a normal year yeah and it's it is fairly unique to the sport and I, I, I do get people often saying like oh well you know golfers travel all the time but they do play a large part kind of in the states and then a large yeah. part in europe we're, we're pretty quick with with how we move i mean look an hour or two time difference is not going to make any difference but you know there have been times where i've landed in the morning and i had to play that afternoon it's that, that's just how it is thought someone would have they, they, they do so much in terms of fitness and, and the mind and the body that they would and maybe there is some sort of technique or tactic to dealing with jet lag because you have to do it all the time well there's one very successful technique I could let you in on the secret. <laughs> oh, I should have told you a couple of weeks ago, oh, shouldn't no. I? <laughs> yeah, you should have done. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be jet lag coming back from Manchester, but yeah, okay. Well, I, I can still do it now. The number one way to sort out jet lag is fly first class. 
<laughs> because you're not flying. You're basically, you're in a bed. You might as well be in a hotel room. You can just, you can just do what you want and you will feel absolutely fine. Unless, when I went to Australia this year, I managed to get upgraded. You have like a bid system. I think I talked about the time. Yeah, yeah, you got upgraded. And I got upgraded partly because with the bushfires, the, no one was really going. They were told, don't go unless you need to go. So the plane was quite empty. So I have the bed, you know, the full, the so full did bed. They, did they reward you because they thought you were being brave or something? Well, I think <laughs> they, I just bid a really small amount of money and suddenly like, welcome. So I get on, I'm like a child. Yeah. I'm like bouncing on the thing. I'm like, but I didn't use the bed because I was so excited to all the buttons and all the other bits and pieces. I'm like, just keep pressing them. (laughs) I just kept pressing buttons and watching movies and eating with proper cutlery and all these things that you're not used to doing in economy that I didn't use the bed because I didn't want to miss out on a second. So I probably was... You don't want to miss a meal. Exactly. You don't want to miss a drink. I'm not going to miss a meal when this, you know, I've got a choice of... So I got to Australia probably in worse state than if I had flown (laughs) my normal economy route because I was so... When he came around and he said, would you like me to make your bed? I was like, I don't want to sleep through this. I want to experience this. Yeah. I never experience it again. So well, I stayed awake. This is the thing is that, yes, players do have to fly around from place to place and it is very, very difficult. But if you're in your head conjuring up images of Rafa Nadal sitting, you know, the, the seat in front of the toilet, that's not happening. <laughs> He's not back in economy or coach if you're American. He is pretty much flying the plane, <laughs> to be honest. So it's it's a very different experience. It's a lot less harsh and it does affect the jet lag because part of the jet lag is just feeling bad from a long haul flight. Yes, yeah. you've got the time difference, which okay, you don't necessarily have here coming from Manchester. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, part of it is just that the body just feels a, a bit rough. And I think also we're used to doing a number of tournaments remotely, but I think because we had the six month break and suddenly we were back in with three weeks of overnights I think it was just all a bit a shock to the system but good tournament though yeah I'm I'm still trying to get oh my is, that, is that a no 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 I thought it was a good tournament I don't think there was as much rust as maybe people expected I thought the level was high no I wanted some rust to bust I didn't I didn't I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even get to use that saying I'd been practicing it for ages I was like oh that's a rust buster I didn't even use there it once maybe, maybe you'll get no some rust. rust busting on the clay you can bust maybe, some yeah, you can bust some rust because remember we've got the new people coming in. I I thought the tournament was great, but I'm still I'm still processing the final teams very. And I think what summed it up perfectly was a piece I read in the New York Times by Chris Clary, and he spoke to Gunter Bresnik. Yes. The until last year had been Dominic's Dominic team's coach, mentor, agent, everything since he was very very young, and he was speaking to Chris Clary, and he said in one breath, <coughs> sorry. Are you okay? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was just trying to drink some water. Well, the first amusing thing was that you couldn't take the top off the water. <laughs> it was the first bit. When you finally revealed how to take the top off, you seemed quite startled that you'd done it. And then it all went wrong. Yep. Sorry about that. Carry on. It's Chris Clary. The, um, yes. Or Gunter Bresnik. Gunter Bresnik. Yes. Gunter Bresnik said it was the worst men's final he'd ever seen. Ever seen. Strong start. But then he followed it by saying, but you've got to realise what these two men were playing for. And that levels it out. Because that was exactly it. I mean, Dominic Team walks out onto the court. And I remember the first thing I said to my guest in the studio was, am I reading too much into this or is he very nervous? I mean, he was heavy. The breathing was laboured behind his mask as he was doing his interview. Mm. And then we're thinking, maybe it's the Achilles problem. There's a problem. Then since we've heard from him saying that he was, he was just rigid with fear. Of course he was. But I think that's what... We have all these expectations. We've been spoiled in all these years. I'm just thinking about the men at the moment. All these years of Nadal, 
Djokovic, Federer, the way they go about winning Grand Slam titles, you're like, that's easy, okay. And a few others have got them dotted around there. But it's like it's a life-changing moment. Yeah. I don't care how much money you've got in the bank or how much profile you've got or where you are in the world. To be a Grand Slam champion in an era when not a lot of people have been able to, to get past their big three or four if we put Murray in there, it, it's, it's massive. But, it was, but watching the match, it was, it was bizarre at times. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was an extraordinary final, wasn't it? But yeah, I think it's just they, they were trying to do something new. And I think that's why it took Andy Murray four finals to, to get his title. And it took Team Three finals before he's managed to get his. Because it's almost like it's a different skill being able to win a, a Grand Slam. There's, there's one thing, obviously, being able to play tennis at the right level. Then it's about being able to play the best of five sets. We've seen kind of that's taken Zverev quite a long time to get used to. Then it's about you're in the final. And as we saw, it took Andy Murray a long time. It took team a long time to, you know, edging closer all the time before they finally get over the mark. And I think that's probably part of the reason why those guys have hoovered them all up because they've kind of got a knack for it. It's just their bread and butter. They're doing, they're playing these Grand Slam finals. Even Federer, okay, he hasn't won a Grand Slam in a while, but the final of Wimbledon last year and, you know, all those sorts of things. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I think if you kind of flipped it around, if we compare the men's and women's finals... You can't compare them because they're just completely different. Because on one hand, I know Osaka's had a little bit of a tough time since she won her couple of Grand Slams. And as Arenka, it's been ages since she won her Grand Slams. But ultimately, they have both won Grand Slams, multiple Grand Slams. And so, yes, they're going to be able to get some good tennis out on the court. That That's expected. But for team and, and Zverev, I mean, for Zverev, a first final. And for team, the first final where he was the favourite, significant favourite. Uh, that is very, very different. So I think it was just kind of that sort of environment. And if we think back to other Grand Slam finals, say with the women, where there have been players who haven't won a Grand Slam before, maybe Halep Ostapenko, I mean, that was riddled with nerves as well. It wasn't necessarily the best quality tennis you could ever imagine from, from these players. I think it's almost a little bit easier if you're up against a great as a way, in terms of yeah, the nerves. 100%. Team was not super nervous in his other three slam finals because he's taking on Nadal or he's taking on Djokovic. He's just kind of like, he's well, not expected let's to beat them. see. Yeah, exactly, let's see. And I think for Osaka, when she first won, she beat Serena. And it was just kind of a case of, hey, I'm in a final, better enjoy this. Team can't think like that at the US Open. Because he's the favourite. Yeah, it's like, he's mate, you better win this. on his way to this final. And everyone yeah. had been saying, Zverev... He hasn't been showing any form. I can't believe this. And he played two great sets of tennis to start this. But they didn't really Because play. probably he wasn't expected to, to win. So he was feeling a bit more sort of like, oh, let's just go and see. And he also hadn't been playing very well. So he probably wasn't expecting to play well. Do. But they didn't really play good tennis together until really deep into yes. that match. But uh, the, the most heartbreaking thing, we saw this with Pablo Carreño Buster against Zverev, is when you're leading. I remember Carreño Buster led by two sets love against Zverev. Then early in the third set, most people started thinking, oh, hang on a second here. I think Zverev's going to win this, even though it hadn't looked anything like that. And a little bit again happened against Team when Zverev had that two sets to love lead. And then Team got the third set. Immediately, you kind of thought, oh, Team's going to win this now. Because I mm. cannot imagine being in that type of position, especially a Grand Slam final, leading by two sets to love. And suddenly you lose the third and that momentum shift on such a stage with such a lot at stake. 
Oh, yeah. And for your first Grand Slam final, that's the thing. We think back, I mentioned the Wimbledon final last year, Federer match points, but he didn't win. But if anyone can deal with that, Federer can. And it's almost in the reverse, Djokovic being down match points and then coming back to win. If anyone can deal with that, Djokovic can. They've dealt with every possible situation. They have won so much. I'll always remember, you know, the year that Andy Roddick lost in the final to Fed and it was, you know, and he, he really had it on his racket, didn't he? Yeah. There was that volley. And, oh, <laughs> I just can't. Anyway, you've got to watch it back if you, if you want to. If you're a Roddick fan and you want to just kind of suffer for a while, watch that one back on YouTube. But I remember I was devastated for him. And in the speeches, uh, it, was, it, was just, it was just one of those things. I mean, obviously, he was already a Grand Slam champion, but just hadn't won Wimbledon. Wimbledon was the one that he just felt the best at with the grass and that sort of thing. But this is Federer at his grass court best right and in the in the speeches Federer is just kind of like yeah I know how it feels to be in your position it's like you don't you've already won three of these <laughs> or however many he had won at the time and this Roddick's face looking at him like cheers buddy like <laughs> because it it's not it's different for Federer because Federer it was always going to be in more Wimbledon finals and more Grand Slam finals, whereas for Roddick, it was a real possibility this might not happen again. You just you just don't know. And especially to be in that position against Federer in a final. And at the time, the prospect was, you want to win this tournament, you've got to beat Federer, who was the best grass quarter in the world and was just kind of racking up Wimbledon titles for fun. And so, yeah, I just thought it was quite funny because it was like Federer's like, oh, no, I know how you feel. And Roddick was like, no. This is very different. You've already got a few of those trophies. That's the one thing I found quite tough doing the speeches for the finals when there's no crowd. Because normally you'll say something and there'll be a round of applause or a little outbreak of laughter if it's something funny. If you're saying, but it, it felt sort of a little bit awkward. But at the same time, when it came to Zverev, a lot more moving because yeah. he was very emotional. And he was talking about his parents who contracted COVID, so weren't allowed to travel just before he came out. And normally the crowd understandably would be clapping and cheering and supporting him but it felt very raw in that moment the awkward moments are when I think it was Azarenka sort of said something sort of funny and it, and it was funny yeah what's the point in telling a joke there's no one there and you're kind of like <laughs> oh, okay there's no one there and it, th those kind of things are a bit but for me I mean yes this was a wonderful opportunity for both team and Zverev because they weren't facing one of the big three team went in as the favorite due to rankings and having been in Grand Slam finals before but I think also most people agree with the fact that both will win slams. So I don't think it was Zverev's only chance ever to win a Grand Slam. I might be wrong, but I, I see. I don't see him winning. I heard no. someone say they see him winning nine or ten. I don't see that with Zverev, no. but I do see him becoming a Grand Slam champion. I think team can get a whole heap of them now. He's, he's broken through. So devastating at the time, but I don't, as I say, I don't think it's one of those finals where you think, this person will never be in this position again. No, and but that was the thing about Roddick is why it was a bit different because you just had Federer there as an ever-present and for the rest of Roddick's career, Federer was going to be there. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was, was tough for him and on grass was his, probably his best chance and that to be in that position, to be playing that well, to have that volley, oh. uh, you know, that, that sort of thing. So that was where it felt a little bit different. It was like, well... Is Roddick ever going to be in a Wimbledon final again? Probably. But will he be playing Federer? Probably. <laughs> will he be winning? Probably not. <laughs> so um, so it, it did feel a, a little bit different. Whereas with Zverev, 
I mean, God, I mean, how many years have we been saying this for? But it feels like the big three are towards the end of their career. He is so young. I mean, if they're playing into their mid-40s, <laughs> because that will be when Zverev is now kind of will be in his mid-30s. That's got to be ridiculous. So he can at least rest assured that there will be a chunk of time in his career where they won't be there. There'll be other people, don't get me wrong. It's not like, oh, then he'll walk it. Of course not. But I think it's, it's just not as a daunting. Out. Yeah, it's not as daunting a prospect. A, a little bit more once. But more like golf, I feel. That's what I think is going to be. They ever like. retire. I mean, Nadal, we're recording this before we've seen his comeback on the clay in Rome, but I, I don't think. Look, he's like a caged animal. I have animal. a feeling it might be quite good. <laughs> oh, he's a caged animal, isn't he? <laughs> he's playing Pablo Cronobusto, who's never lost to in five meetings. I, I'm sure there's something about Spanish players aren't allowed to beat him. I'm sure. I don't know if it's... Well, a, they're just, they're just going to be completely in awe of him, though, aren't they? I mean, because you know, he's very supportive of Spanish tennis as well. You know, he really likes the team, and we really saw that on display at Davis Cup. Like, Pablo Cronobusto shouldn't be in awe of him. I understand the... What? I know. I understand for what he... But when they got into a tennis court, in their sixth meeting... In terms of their age, I don't think he should be... I understand the younger players coming through. I get that in terms of... And David Freire always had a little wobble when he faced him. But I just think Pablo Cronibus, I don't think it should still be such a problem unless there is something unofficial that says you're not allowed to beat Nadal, especially on clay, if you're from Spain. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, they might have signed something. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Well, I mean, you know, Bautista Agut doesn't seem to have that, that sit in that sort of, I, I'm in awe of him when it's not comes to a hard court. But I mean, the prospect, you're playing Nadal on slow clay courts in Rome. It's warm. Well, actually, they're playing last, so it won't be so warm. It'll be, uh, it'll be a little bit cooler. But yeah, I don't know. I uh, I don't know. It's just it's such you're a daunting you're prospect. You're not giving him a chance. To I think it. it's more that like I think the more you, with a lot of these big players, the more you know about them, the more you're around them, the more they become sort of people rather than a symbol or, or this something on a pedestal. Because you see how they train, you see that they're you know that they're human and they can make mistakes and that sort of thing. But I think that seeing how Nadal trains is very different. I think it's almost the opposite. You go, this guy's not human. This is not real. This is not right. Like, this is just not normal. Like, I can't train anywhere near this hard. No <laughs> one can. This is absurd. So I think it almost might reinforce it. And obviously the Spanish guys just know him so well. And I think it's almost a bit more kind of like, yeah, no, no, he's my dog. How hard is the, is it the toughest adjustment they've gone from hard to play? Is it another way around or a different surface to surface? What's the what are they dealing with the players going some of them fairly immediately from the hard courts at Flushing Meadows, which were pretty quick onto the clay in Europe? Well you get the hard to to clay transition anyway every year, but it's just a little bit more time and a bit more breathing room and a few more options for players between the tournaments. Um, you know, you can go straight in or you can kind of take your time uh, and, and do some more practice. And I think they'll all be kind of used to what works. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, look, I think they're going to be used to it. It's just the fact that it's another big tournament. But I, I don't think that's too much of an issue. I think that it, it's weird that there's a Grand Slam starting again soon. <laughs> I mean, it's very weird. <laughs> well, we used to have that again, though, didn't we? With French and Wimbledon were so, so close together. But because of the... This is even closer. This is closer. <laughs> and, of course, Paris and London are not that far away from each other. There's no jet lag to deal with. Yes, there's a massive change in surface. Yes. Uh, of course, but that almost made it feel completely different. Yeah. 
I, I don't know, you know what I mean? And we used to, remember how much we used to have those clay quarters just come and just first round Wimbledon, first round Wimbledon, first round <laughs> played no grass court warm-up tournaments whatsoever. They were just, they just, because it was so close and they just said, nah, you know, don't worry about it. It's only one tournament, it's fine. Uh, now we don't get that so much because the grass is a little bit slower and, uh, you know, they've got that extra week. But, uh, yeah, I think it's tough. It's tough going on to the clay for a, a number of people because it your match is going to be longer, rallies are going to be longer, it's going to be more physical. Um, so, yeah, but it just depends who you are. Like, you know, Nadal and Halep haven't been on the hard, but I think even if they had been, they would enjoy that transition rather than the other way around. Naomi Osaka, for you, winning that title, what does that do to Osaka? Does she now go stratospheric in, times in terms of dominating the women's game, or do you still think there's going to be a, a bit of a spread between the players when we get the players back that we haven't had recently? You mentioned Halep is back and she'll beat Roland Garros, but we're still missing an awful lot of the top ten. But have you seen something in Osaka that you've seen someone who could possibly go on and dominate? I don't think that we will have anybody dominating for a few years um, because I just think there's too much quality. It's just too much quality up at the top. It was phenomenal. I mean, we forget about Andrescu. I mean, she's barely lost in the last two years. But she's barely been fit. <laughs> she's barely been fit. Yes, and that has been a bit, a bit of a, a difficult situation for her. But, but when she, but, but she just comes back and plays and just wins. <laughs> she just turned yeah. up at the Canadian Open yeah. and was like, I haven't played for it because she played that one match at the French or two matches at French. She won and pulled out. Yeah. Uh, and then she hadn't played again, but you know, she turned up at the Canadian and was like, oh, yeah, guys, no, I'm still really good. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Maybe she'll just be kind of like that sort of person that plays three tournaments a year, wins all three of them, and two of them happen to be slams. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I'd sign on for that career. If yes. someone's offering me that career, now, I'd take it. It's the easiest life ever, I don't care it? about the chatter that the media would have about me. I would just take that career now. Sure. Well, okay, if Andreescu's destined to become the Del Potro of the women's game, then, okay, that does take her out of contention for an awful lot of slams. But, uh, you know, are we going to see somebody racking up sort of 23 slams like Serena? No way. I, I think, for me, with Osaka, what was so impressive was her as a person, and we discussed this a lot when we were working together on Five Live, in that she started out as somebody super shy. We were talking about this last week, weren't we? That she was just running away from the microphone. Now she's using her platform. But So I won't go into it again. But ultimately she knows who she is as a person and I think that's one of the most challenging things when you burst onto the stage you win that grand slam and you're suddenly looked at very differently people are talking about you being an idol and there is this demand from the press of who are you what do you stand for what are you about what do you believe in and 19 years old you've got no idea you haven't you don't know what you know any of that and but I think that she's really really matured in herself as a person so she knows what she's doing. She knows what she's about, what she believes in. She understands what she can and can't do. And I'm sure there have been moments in recent times where agents and people around her have been going, we don't have to do this. We could just not do this <laughs> and just play to... You know what agents are like. Um, you know, because they're always looking for the benefit to you, right? But you have to balance that with the happiness of, of the player. Uh, and so, you know, she's starting to take charge of Team Osaka, which is a very, it's a, it's a tough transition to make. So I believe that she will be very much cemented at the top of the game. 
I, I don't believe she's going to kind of like she didn't fall away massively. She didn't do a curve and go down to thirty in the rankings. But she kind of the level she was playing was not the level of a Grand Slam champion or somebody who was going to win Grand Slams. Now she's got that back. I think that in every slam she will be sort of like looking to win it. She might not, but... And where are you at with Serena Williams? Because she went out after we recorded the pod last week. It's, it's another slam gone, got to the semi-finals, started amazingly against Victoria Azarenka, didn't go through with it. It's another one now, immediately approached. She says, yes, I'm going to play. Although she wasn't that happy that for Roland Garros, there are two-player hotels and you can't have private housing, so you've got to be in one of those hotels. She wasn't amazingly happy with that because she has a place in Paris, but she was told no exceptions. She said she would be there. Where are you from what you saw throughout the US Open bubble on her mentally, on her physically? And again, I know she's got the record, I know, but it's this number, it's this number 24 that is not going to go away. Okay, well, well, ignoring the 24 because it's not. We can't ignore the 24. Why? Because she talks about the 24. Everyone talks about the 24. She's still playing. If it didn't matter, would she still be playing? She is still playing to get to 24. She's still playing to win one more slam. That's what to I'm going to say. To get to 24. But don't, I don't care about the 24. She wants to win one more slam. But she does because it would equal 24. I think she wants to win <laughs> one more so that she can say that she's won a slam post baby. Well, post having a baby, uh, which I think would be a huge thing for her. You don't think that Margaret Court record that we talk about, the 24, you don't think it's that's what she's headed for? No, I'm I'm sure. She's talked about it. I'm not I'm not going to say she's lying. Of course not. But I think so. You don't think she can win one, one more? You're still in that camp. I'm still, and I, I've been in that camp for a while. I you know I'd love her to do it, and I do hope that if she retired tomorrow, that she would not have any regrets and she would be she would relax and retire in peace that she's an outstanding things to the game on and off court she's an incredible tennis player incredible person and she set all these records I really hope that could happen if she didn't get this and I'd like her to get it but if I'm looking at it dispassionately do I think she'll get it no because partly the quality you just talked about that's around secondly something you've talked about a lot of is that she's now one of the pack rather than the one to beat and that can make some players I think like an Angelique Kerber more dangerous yes being one of the pack she's better but I don't think but Serena was she's not used to being in a pack it's quite a new thing being in a pack and and I also think the mental side look we talked about team and Zverev mentally they were crushed by the weight of expectation and what they could achieve in that final and for me I think she is weighted down by the fact that almost it feels like everything hinges on one more whether it be one or two more whether she wants to equal it or go past it it almost feels like the next stage of her life can begin once she's got there and that's a lot of pressure to put on someone who's nearly 39 might want to expand their family everybody talking about it I so I stay in the camp it's always possible that she will and I'd like her to do it but if you gave me a pound and said it has to go one side or the other it would still be on that it won't happen yeah I mean look the situation is that there are multiple people who I believe can outplay her and that is difficult because she might come up against one of them before she reaches the final or as we've seen has hit them in the final and just can't get past them so, you know, like we think back to the Wimbledon final when Hallett beat her, that was very comfortable. But Hallett played, she said afterwards, the best match of her life. But she played at a level that genuinely Serena at that time could not match. And, and maybe she could have dug her heels in a little bit more, but I think she knew that she could not match that physicality from Hallett. No way. I don't think there were many people who could at all. 
But, you know, you kind of look at the list now and you think, of course, Osaka can play well enough to beat her, even if Serena's playing well right now. Uh, I think you're probably going to add Azarenka into that list as well because I know that Azarenka before she beat her, had a poor record against her in slams. Well, had no record because she hadn't won a match against her in slams. But she had a very good record against her outside of slams. And she's somebody that back when it was Serena at her absolute prime, Azarenka still could go toe-to-toe with her. And it's actually a great matchup for Azarenka because Azarenka is somebody who's not phased by depth and pace, which is interesting in the women's game because <laughs> the women's game is mainly about depth and pace. <laughs> so when you're doing that and she's just kind of boshing them back like it's a mid-court ball and you do it three times in a row and nothing happens. And then the next point you do it again and nothing happens. You just think, I don't understand this. And, you know, it is extraordinary. And we saw that actually with Osaka in the final. I think Osaka was a little overwhelmed at the beginning. Um, so you've got to add Azarenka now back into the mix. It's a very crowded top 10 when it comes to the quality of players that are in there uh, and people that you could argue would win a slam haven't even got to Ash Barty plays a completely different game style and again on her day I think can really cause Serena some problems um, do I think that Barty could play a level of tennis that Serena just couldn't deal with no but I think that it's a sort of it's a sort of game where if Serena's not feeling great from the start, it's going to be very difficult for her to turn it around because of Barty's like tricky game style and the, the, the variation that she brings. So look, she's in the mix. She made another semi-final. She lost to a multiple Grand Slam champion in Azarenka. So that pound that I'm going to put back on the table... Which, I need that pound. Which, uh, <laughs> which, which box does the pound go into? Gets it, doesn't get it? Well, I, to be honest, for me, it genuinely depends on how long she's going to keep playing. Just put the pound in a box. If if she said to me that she was going to definitely play for at least two more years, so that's eight Grand Slam opportunities, then I will say she'll win one. She has not said anything to you. The <laughs> likelihood is she is not going to be speaking to you. She did not respond to, to my text. <laughs> she, she changed her number. She's not going to be speaking to you in the near future. So please put your pound in a box. Will she get it? Oh, my word. <laughs> I've never known yes, such delay Yes, fine, tactics. yes, yes. No, don't just say yes. Do you, yes. Honestly, if this is the last pound that, that you have... 2021. In, that you have in the world. 2021, yes. It's going to happen. 2021. Okay. Maybe 2022, if she's still playing, but definitely... 2022, I mean, that's... Okay. Yeah, but she, if she's still playing, I don't know. If she stops kind of in January, well, then no. <laughs> but that's why I'm asking you, you can't... That's, you just got to put your pound somewhere. I say yes. You say yes. Any cravings to tell? Uh, people who didn't listen last week, Naomi is pregnant. I'm just having cravings. Um, <laughs> any pra- any craving? Uh, craving? No. Because you came in and you've got a packet of four. What do you call them? Before I say what I call them. Scones. Scones. People do call them scones. People in America. Very are strange. That we've people. gone mad. I don't know what they are in America. That is a. Is that a cake? Do you or know a what? Biscuit it, it's a like a biscuit. Like it's a, not do- a biscuit, you know, no, 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 but not our biscuit, of course. But they call them biscuits. It's like a doughy. You get like it's almost like a bready biscuit. I think it's not in a the bis- states, there's I no believe. way in the world is that a biscuit ever. It's a scone, or a scone, or a scone. Mm, and it's not a scone. It's a scone. Well, for some people it's a scone, but for us well. it's a scone. But <laughs> two things I noticed. Firstly, you're eating scones with nothing on them. You just I feel got, like there's nothing wrong just with that. Got a dried scone in it, and secondly, you didn't offer me one. Well, yeah, COVID times. Can't touch my food. 
Just I can't on. touch your food. I can't you touch your food. You haven't touched all of them. You That's just true. I haven't, I haven't just touched all of them. Just took one of them. That's just a pregnant I'm thing. a pregnant you're lady. Like, I need food around me at all times. You were like, they are my scones. I nearly said scones. So you're not coming near them. <laughs> <laughs> if you say scones, I genuinely don't know what you're talking about. So. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to get one anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, right, so you're munching away <laughs> You're munching away in your scones. Do, do you, you need to do some work soon? Um, I don't know. What's the I, score? I, <laughs> I am, because we're both working room. Naomi's working for TV, and we had a lovely email from Isabel from Canada, who's been enjoying your analysis. Hi, Isabel. She says, I think I, oh. wrote, I, think I wrote down some nice words that she said about you. I, I wasn't sure if it was you, but I, I double-checked. Informed, intelligent, and objective. Is that you? <laughs> <laughs> would they be the three words? Would if I said, describe me in three words. Would they, Isabel, I'm not sure they'd be my first three words. <laughs> but maybe I know on a different level. But that was very nice. That was Isabel watching from Canada. So you're doing TV. Yes. You don't start. When do you start? You start... I've got a little bit. I'm, I'm on the late shift. I'm on the Nadal shift. You're on the Nadal. I was on the Berrettini shift slash Goffin. Yeah. Um, I'm now keeping an eye on Djokovic. To he's a setup, and I'll go back probably for Sinner Sitsipas. Nice match. I mean, that's, that's a match. Sinner was isn't good. It? Oh, Sinner pair. Wow. I mean, poor pair. Honestly, and I, I was doing this match actually for TV, I have to say. Um, and, and Isabel, I was very much trying to be objective because it was very easy Apparently to say. it worked. Because <laughs> for pair, I'm glad it comes across that way. Thank you, Isabel. But for pair, I mean, he went full meltdown. So that's always interesting to see. Uh, but I was trying to be objective because I think it's very easy to kind of to criticise. And I did say he's had a rough few weeks. It, it's not been easy. And actually, before the match started, I texted you and I said, poor pair. <laughs> he, he had to pull out of Cincinnati ill, then got COVID, so couldn't play the US Open, then was locked in a room for two weeks, which, I mean, if you know anything about pair, that is not going to go down well. He is not, not that sort of person. And I said, and now he might lose to a child. No, but then, even worse than that, <laughs> he asked for a Tuesday start. They gave him Monday. And they gave him Monday. <laughs> so, so, so. I was all, it was all over the place. Recipe for disaster. Yeah, I did preempt it because I sent you that yeah, message. I was thinking, we might. I mean, he's not a child. He's nineteen now. He's a full adult. And <laughs> I was just, I was just joking. I was just kind of viewing it from Pear's perspective. And yes, it, I was not surprised that it ended in meltdown. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was interesting to watch. But I tried to be fair and say he's had a rough few weeks. Well, no, I, I, you don't have to defend yourself. Isabel, again, <laughs> what were these three words? I'd have to look at them again. Informed, intelligent, and objective. That is how Isabel described Informed you. Informed, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm going to show my husband that. There is, there is a lot of, That'll give him a there laugh. Is a, there is a lot of pressure on you this <laughs> afternoon to be informed, intelligent, and objective. Okay, I will bear when that in Pablo mind as well. When is six love, five love down. It's I tough want, to be objective I when want, PCB's on the court. No, I, I want you to be informed, intelligent, and objective. Um, Chapavel of Amute, apparently there's a, a, a rap song. Yeah, and do you, do you call do rap know? song or do you call them raps? Like they're releasing a... It's a rap, yeah. They're not a song. It's, well, a it's also a song. Either is fine. Okay. It's like Scone and Scone. Uh, I have to defer, because name is younger than me and it's trendier. Do you know what it's called? The Drip. Yeah, it's not a great name. But you I know, think that conjures up all sorts of not great images in my mind. It? Would you like to share any of them with us? No. <laughs> I imagine, is it going to be like dripping in jewellery? Isn't that what they say? Like, that sort of thing? Really? Do they really drip in jewellery, Boutain? It's very and does. The Shap? So this is the uh, this is the second song off the album after Night Train, is it? Is this, are we going to get a well, full I release? Don't if, I don't know if this is on the album, but they just talked about hooking up musically. Um, and that's what's come out of it. Roberto Bautista Goots had a baby. I know. Little boy. 
Well, he didn't, but his wife did. Well, <laughs> I don't think there was anyone listening to this podcast <laughs> that thought that Roberto Bautista, fresh off the US Open, had given birth. No, it's just because I'm in that mindset where, you know, oh. my husband's saying things... My husband's saying things kind of like, well, you know, reading this book, you're just, you know, doing too much research, it makes me stressed. And I'm like, oh, you're stressed. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, 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 wow, you're there, are you? <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then if he says, I feel like I can say pregnancy hormones because I've been there but if then he said oh is it the pregnancy hormones that doesn't help either does it if he comes out with that yeah 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 that doesn't mm. that doesn't no no, no. it's all right <laughs> we're, we're getting on just fine everyone don't just, need to worry just that look well <laughs> I've had the the boys go back to school so I've been dealing with jet lag and I felt like a really bad mother because they've gone into year one and off I got school uniform all fits so okay, good. Everyone's got zero fits, and off they go, and and things are changed. And it's a difficult time for the school because of coronavirus. Sure, yeah. So there's certain things they can and can't do. You know, there was one child who went to school, had his temperature checked, fine. He can they sit close to each other? Yeah, well, they initially, because they're on little tables now, they're a new one. Because they they've were, spread everybody out, right? They were together, but then they were moved. So one of the twins is sat next to a girl, not massively impressed with the situation. The other one's got one of his mates. Very happy that so they're moving them around. I thought that when they sat next to each other, I was like, "Well, that makes sense," but they've they've moved them. But they're in right, a bubble, and that's good for kind of socialising. But socialising is, I suppose, the problem at the moment. Yeah, I, so. I think it's. Oh, but they're in the bubble, so it, okay, fine. And they can play and go outside. I think the difference for them is they've gone from reception where you can do anything and play. It's like playtime to now it's like sit at a desk. And one of them came home and said, "I, I don't like Year One." <laughs> I said, "What's wrong with Year One?" Desks. And I just thought I could sort of sugarcoat it, but Big I thought boy stuff. I was going to be honest and say, I'm afraid desks are going to be a firm part of your school life. Like yeah. you're not going to go back to kind of rolling around on a carpet again. <laughs> I mean, you can do that at home, but <laughs> at school, if you do that, chances are it's not going to go down well. So I had to kind of break it. And all these things you have to remember. And I thought I was juggling quite well with doing overnights, final school uniform, all this kind of stuff. And then one of the mums put on this group chat that we have to pay for milk because apparently it's free in the first year and then whatever didn't pay for it right. so I spoke to one of the twins and I said um have you had milk and he said no because you haven't paid for it oh no <laughs> and I was like genuinely didn't know about the milk thing I oh said. no and the other one was like I don't like milk I was like well that's fine and the other was like <laughs> you just haven't paid for my milk I've, I've now paid for the milk for the year it's covered but it's things like that that you're trying to you know working till four in the morning watching Murray come through against Nishioka in five sets and then realising you've got to pay for milk and sort of... But it's fine, everyone's... But I think it's going to be a weird term with, with coronavirus and illness because this is the common cold time. So we've got... I yeah. say there was a kid, he temperature fine, went in, coughed once, sent home. Yeah. And I know you've got to be careful, but at the same time, colds are everywhere with children. So I think it's going to be... Whew, but they're, they're happy to be back. And Good. doing stuff, and that's that's all going well, and the tennis is all kicked. So we're we're all we're all busy, a bit jet lagged, but we're getting there. <laughs> Can you imagine far into the future, no. a life without genuinely no, <laughs> a life without bubbles? Just no, because there are going to be loads of bubbles in Paris, right? Yeah, because we've you'll got, have a bubble. We've got Paris split into three separate sites. Weird, right? Feels like there's not enough room for that, but. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but I can see how they've done it with Susan Longley. Anyone knows the site? Susan Longley yeah, on a yeah. few courts. She's actually in a few courts. And there's Simone Mathieu and it's Greenhouse. 
to one side. Yeah. So, and then the fans all, I think they have allocated time to arrive and they go in. And, and maybe if you have 5,000 fans in the Chateau Bob, not all 5,000 turn up. I mean, it might be... I mean, I imagine? I'm really? <laughs> well, it might be lunchtime I'm in w- Paris. You never know. No, that's going to be the tricky thing. <laughs> but then I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated to be there and to be part of it. I'm going to have more COVID tests than anyone's ever had. What are you looking forward to at, the, at Roland Garros the most? Not the COVID testing. Oh, well, well. The, I think that's fair The enough. down the throat, up the nose thing is... I don't think there was... A, it's the a novelty, boring, isn't it? The novelty never wore off because there was never a novelty about doing that. Yeah. Um, but, but it's great that we do it and we get, we'll get checked every few days and it's all on a, on a systems to make sure everyone's up to date and it's all been... I'm looking forward to working at an event during this time. Right. I'm okay. looking forward to experiencing the weirdness. Just a little bit, yeah. Just being able to sort of be part of it and to see how it feels. Because mm. you can speak to people, I speak to so many people at the US Open, listen to so many podcasts about what it was like there and this feeling of it's a bit weird, it's a bit creepy, it was nice. It'll be it less quiet. weird because there will be a There'll lot be more people, people milling around than at the US but where it was just kind of empty. Because all the, the media will be remote like it was at the US Open via Zoom, so there won't be as many media. A lot of TV companies won't be there. It's, I think it's, I, I think I'm looking forward to experiencing the event and being part of it to see, I think it's an incredible thing with the UST, the FFT, to stage an event of this size during this time, I think is extraordinary. Oh yeah. And it's ambitious. It, and it might pay off, like it might be great. Absolutely. But. And look, the US, US Open, we had the, the Benoit pair case and the surrounding Benoit pair people, but... Other than that, largely it was a success in terms of the amount of people there. Absolutely. Here, I guess the thing is, you lose in New York, Sitzpass goes out photographing hot dogs in Manhattan. Yep. Then he turns up in Rome, having been out of a bubble, into another bubble. And then they'll leave this bubble and go into another bubble. So, but that's always the danger when this people is are it. moving around. We haven't, and that's the thing is, this is the first test, isn't it? Kind of, I think by the time we get to Paris, people have been in New York, Rome, Paris. Different it's bubbles. the It's the moving. It's the movement, isn't it? Yeah, and that's definitely going to work against tennis. I've said this from the very start. That's a hard thing to ma- manage. Um, but I suppose they just kind of have to. The thing I'm looking forward to the most is the roof. Yes, is the roof. Although it'll probably be this wonderfully dry. I hope it's dry and warm. I mean, at the moment, it's 30 degrees. As we speak, it's 30 degrees it's in crazy. Paris in September. I'm hearing that on the first day of Roland Garros, it'll be about 19, 20 degrees. Right, okay. Which to me feels very cold, but it's still not that cold. But yeah, like the, the, the roof. poor roof, because that's what happened with Wimbledon, didn't it? They didn't use it the year that it was launched because it was such a hot Wimbledon. But I mean, in Paris, you've got to be thinking kind of like, come on, we've even moved the tournament to October. Roof. We still don't get any roof. Ra- <laughs> rain. Close it. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, I have to say, I'm, I'm really lucky to be going out there. Um, I go out quite early next week, so maybe we should do our pod when I'm out there. Yeah. Just to get the initial... See what's happening. I'm here and there, and I'll have a test before I go out and then be tested regularly. So I'm, it, it's, for me, it's a long time away to be, from the, be away from the family, Yeah. which I'm finding quite difficult because we've had this massive chunk really at home. So that's, for me, the hardest thing is leaving the family again so soon after going to Salford for the block but really looking forward to being part of the tournament seeing how it works in these times I'm sure there's gonna be many many more stories baguettes obviously I'm gonna have to avoid a second time this part of the year I'm gonna have to avoid baguettes yeah but I'm just gonna do it avoid baguettes watch some tennis and report back okay, okay. I can't I can't wait to hear what it's like now Djokovic is doing quite well so I might have to go soon okay. because I am on next okay you, you go you do some work <laughs> thanks can I take a scone on my way out? Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>